Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. If it's Wednesday, it means Courtney Astolfi is on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and for her Wednesday appearance, City Hall reporter Courtney Astolfi. Plenty to talk about. Let's get at it. A day after the income tax filing deadlines, is the flat tax proposal in Ohio dead? What's the plan for a tax cut as it now stands in the House version of the pending two-year state budget bill. Lisa. Yeah, the revised budget bill in the House does not include that proposed controversial 2.75% flat tax rate that would have cost $1.2 billion a year in tax rollbacks given to local governments. So there are still some small tax cuts for low to mid-income residents. They would raise the threshold from which people don't have to pay income tax from $25,000 to $26,000. They will eliminate eliminate the middle-class tax bracket, but those making up to 92150 a year will pay the same 2.75% that they are now, um, or the reduced rate, rather, um, and that's down from 3.2%. And then the minimum amount of tax paid is slightly reduced. Um, they're also increasing the homestead exemption for elderly vet- and veterans based on inflation. That will cost us about $11 million in fiscal year 24 and $28 million dollars in fiscal year 2025. And there's a whole lot of other non-tax related stuff in the budget as well. Actually, this sounds like it's a, a step in the right direction. The flat tax rewards the rich, punishes the people of lesser means. It's a terrible idea uh, and it's good to see it gone. It is nice that they're trying to help seniors keep their homes. Uh, inflation has really cramped people on fixed incomes and helping them stay in their homes, I'm sure will relieve a lot of their anxiety. Uh, we don't know what the Senate will do with this, but to, to step away from the flat tax proposal is interesting. It is. It is. And I think that they probably got a lot of pushback from local governments who stood to lose a lot of money because these rollbacks help them make up for tax exemptions that they grant to, you know, elderly and, and businesses and so forth. So yeah, I'm sure they got an earful from people. But there's just a whole lot of other stuff. Interestingly enough, they've actually raised the income limits for private school vouchers to 450% of the poverty line or $135,000 a year for a family four. So that's above even Governor DeWine's 400%, which would be $75,000 a year for a family of four. So that kind of jumped out at me in some of the, the amendments. You mentioned the pushback they got. We know 
that in the urban areas, the governments were screaming bloody murder, but we also know the legislature doesn't care about the cities. Mm. But I imagine a whole bunch of rural governments, when they started looking at what was going to happen to their tax base, started to holler as well. This was across the board going to stick it to anybody Mm -hmm. that funded themselves on property taxes. It was just a terrible idea, especially because those taxes have been voted upon. Mm -hmm. Those aren't just something that the school districts create. The voters have gone and said, this is what we think you should have. And these guys in Columbus were just unilaterally cutting it. And so uh, it's good to know that people howling does matter, Mm -hmm. but it's too bad that the people howling in the cities don't. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How much closer have we moved to having an August election in which Republicans hope for the low turnout that will result in voters approving their cynical ploy to reduce the value of votes? We're talking, of course, about raising the percentage of votes needed to change the Ohio Constitution, Laura. Right. So House Republicans have formally retooled their proposal to make it harder for voters to amend a constitution. The Senate agrees on this. They both seem to be on the same page to raise the threshold for voters to approve the amendment, it would go from 50% plus one vote, so a basic majority, to 60%. And there's this time crunch because of the abortion rights constitutional amendment. Both chambers are looking for this August election, something they outlawed last year. It would cost about $20 million. And so they're positioning to advance the the issue this week out of committee in both the House and the Senate. And because they're very closely aligned, the State House team is telling me they think this is probably a go, although we We do not know if they're going to have enough votes in each chamber to pass this and and make the election happen. Yeah, people who are counting the votes say they don't have them in the House, that they might be 10 shy, um, which is a long way to go, especially when you're doing something that is so anti-democratic as this and hypocritical as this. And so there are people Mm -hmm. who are worried about their future. You also have a House speaker who has the position because Democrats voted for him. Democrats do not favor this. So if he leads the House through this, he could lose their support. He could lose the House speakership. It's a dangerous, dangerous ploy that they're taking here. The other thing is people might not realize this. There's two different bills here. One is the constitutional amendment, which the governor doesn't have any say on. If the two houses pass it, it goes on the ballot. But they can't do it in August without a separate bill to create Mm -hmm. an August election. Remember, Mm -hmm. these are the folks who abolished August elections. But DeWine would have to sign that. Now, Mike DeWine has shown, I mean, he's just, he's almost like emasculated because he wants their approval. So he hasn't pulled out his veto pen, even when you thought he would. Mm -hmm. It, It would be the right thing for him to do because it's hypocrisy to not do it after what you've said about August elections, but the spotlight would be on him when that, if that bill comes to his desk. Yeah. I just can't see him standing up to the legislature. Not after he's like said, green energy includes natural gas, not if the gun stuff. So I just want to point out, so Republican uh, Phil Plummer, he's from Dayton. He runs the committee slated to vote out this idea in the house. He said, quote, this ain't about the abortion debate. This is about protecting (laughs) our constitution, which is a blatant lie because it is about the abortion rate, but protecting our constitution from Ohio voters like that. I I don't understand the line they're trying to tread here to to make this palatable to people because they're taking your right to vote away. 
And and hoping that a light turnout election, when people are still in summer mode, they can get enough supporters there. If this were on the November ballot, it'd be a lot harder to pass. I still think this could blow up in their face because this is about abortion. The 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 abortion forces are pretty strong. I think they will rally the vote. It's happened in every state. Anytime there's been a vote about abortion, the the, the Republican side is lost. And this could just blow up in their face. But you're right about Mike Dwine. He's, he really, since his reelection, has been fairly gutless. You're listening to Today in Ohio. With some time to comb through the files, we know more about the final weeks of Jalen Walker's life before he was killed by police last year. Courtney, what do we yeah, know? Yeah, this was just a, a nightmare of a picture that was painted. I, I can't imagine the personal turmoil Walker was going through in the lead up to his death. So what we got after we learned that the grand jury on Monday declined to indict the eight officers who, who shot and killed Jalen Walker last summer. There was this giant case file. Investigators talked to his family and friends. They went through his phone. This was just kind of a big dump of information about everything that was going on in the lead up here. And 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 what's what seems pretty clear here is that Walker was just distraught, you know, in the a, a month before he was killed, his fiance, who family described as his soulmate, was she died in a car crash near Cincinnati, and it sounds like he was just reeling, losing his fiance this way. He, he collapsed at the hospital and and at the funeral. He was having a tough time. Days after she died, he he googled what happens if you if you drink bleach. He searched how much a plane ticket to Egypt would cost. At one point, he told his mom, I, I can't even just like go home and watch TV. I, it's too overwhelming. And and what these text messages show is that he frequently would just go out and kind of drive around aimlessly. And and, and one, one piece of this that, that really struck me was he had his high school buddy. He was, the buddy was a, is a Summit County Corrections officer, and he, he took him to a gun range. And the friend told investigators Walker knew little about guns. His buddy had to show him how to load and unload them. And and then, you know, a few days later, Walker was was teeing up. He was trying to buy the home he shared with his fiance in, in her honor. And he got approved for a loan and he, he he'd quit his job and, and the bank pulled back the loan. And and later that day, he was talking to that friend who'd taken him to the gun range and he recommended Go go there, fire off some shots. It's a good stress reliever, and and that's when Walker went to the gun range and bought the gun. Yeah, he bought the gun at the same time he was saying all those things that led lead you to believe he was contemplating the end of his life, and you wonder what the motive was for actually buying that gun. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's just a tragic chain of events that lead to what could have been suicide by cop no nobody can say that definitively because he didn't write anything like that and his family says they don't believe that happened but the actions described as we discussed yesterday could certainly lead to that conclusion i I found it interesting that he was he was new to guns and unfamiliar with guns you know the officer said that they that that shot was fired from the car as as he was fleeing away from police and then he got out, ran on foot, and that's when the officers fired. But the gun was still in the car. It, it was sitting on the front seat. They found it uh, unloaded next to a wedding band uh, he wore in honor of his fiance. I, I just wonder if he's not trained or had much familiarity with guns. I, 
I wonder what happened that night uh, when that shot was fired through the car. And and like you said, investigators did really try and nail down. They explored that idea of whether he tried to, you know, suicide by cop. Like you said, family and friend members were not adamant. And and one of the investigators said there there wasn't enough evidence to to conclusively say either way. Okay. You are listening to Today in Ohio. We're still a long way from a plan for the Cleveland Lakefront, and we know it will be costly, whatever it is. What's the good news for those who have to assemble the dollars, Lisa? Well, Ohio lawmakers, although it's unclear exactly who, are proposing $62 million in state funds for building a land bridge to the North Coast Harbor and Brown Stadium area. And this is in the latest revision of the Ohio two-year budget bill. House Finance Committee Chair Jay Edwards, the Republican from Athens County says he can't really recall which colleague, you know, suggested it, but he said that top brass is pushing for this. So that'll be interesting to see who's actually behind this. The money would come from the Ohio Development Department if it is approved. There's also a, a separate request. A, a representative, Jamie Callender, the Republican from Lake County, is requesting $5 million for the Rock Hall of Fame to improve lakefront access and to create new outdoor community spaces. But that money would come from ARPA dollars. Yeah, I, I, we don't know what exactly this is for. All we do know is that there will be a big bill. Uh, Courtney was talking in the office yesterday that they're assembling the capital stack. The capital stack is going to be far more than $62 million. And Justin Bibb is working on a plan for all this. So to start assembling the money now before they're, they have the full plan isn't illogical. We know it's going to cost far more than this. And to get start building the cash is a good idea. Courtney, you did try to get more information about this and mums the word, yeah, right? Yeah, Steve, Steve, reporter Steve Litt and I both kind of called around. The city's not saying anything at the moment. But like you said, you know, it, it does leave open the question of why the $62 million? Why not six? You know, how they arrive at that number. But I, I don't think we're going to find out details quite yet until the planning moves a little bit further along. And as we speak, we're half day away from Justin Bibb giving his state of the city, but we do not expect details of the lakefront plan to come from that. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, Laura, this is the goofy story of the day. Why were tax dollars from Ohio used to buy a wildebeest? 
I know, right? The word wildebeest in a headline, you're just like, what? So this is a formal fiscal officer in Vinton County uh, at a township. He used public funds to buy a wildebeest. And then I'm going to list the other stuff because this list is jaw-dropping. Two snowy owls from England, five hot tubs, a popcorn cart, a snow cone machine, kayaks, telescopes, an above-ground swimming pool, a gaming system, a projector and screen, and a golf cart, riding lawnmower, an animal rescue trailer. Like, wow. Wow. So this investigation began in July 2020. There was a tip to Auditor Keith Faber from the Vinton County Auditors accusing him of using township uh, debit and credit cards for his nonprofit, the Union Ridge Wildlife Center, and renovating his own residence going all the way back to 2016. He resigned two weeks later, and the audit found that he created false invoices, written statements, and meeting minutes to mislead township trustees and auditors. So we're talking about $310,000 in inappropriate expenses, although you name all those things, and like $310,000 feels like a deal for all of that. But the township total budget was only two hundred and twenty thousand dollars in twenty twenty. Like I, I don't know how he did this. I don't get why anybody would want a wildebeest. I, mean, <laughs> I get, you know, some people might want a zebra or something, but a wildebeest is basically just a dumb animal that's lion food. I I had the great fortune to take the trip of a lifetime in twenty sixteen and go on an African safari and could see the Great Migration. But with the most hilarious thing we saw there, there was a river down a steep bank that all these wildebeest wanted to cross. But there are crocodiles in the river. So they would all march down to the bottom, then get scared, and all climb back up to the top. They did this over and over again for about three hours before a group of about 10 zebras came down and led them across. It was like the referee showed up and said, okay, we'll show you the way. I got all these pictures of the zebras leading these idiot wildebeest They're across the river. They're even wearing the right, the right outfit. For the I guess. Stripes. It was just, it was hilarious. They kept coming down and going back up. It was just, you know, I, why would you want, of all the creatures in God's creation, a wildebeest? I don't get it. Um, I would love to hear his explanation. He's, he's going to jail, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, this this obviously was criminally charged as well. And he's ordered to pay restitution, sentenced to four years and 11 months in prison. That's a long prison sentence, but not when you compare it to like Jimmy DeMora, who, you know, just had a pizza oven in like a tiki hut. He didn't buy a wildebeest. So did they auction <laughs> off the wildebeest to get their money back? Oh, God, I don't know. I don't know that level of detail. But you, you would think, obviously, they took all of the stuff. They're going to have to get the money back. They're going to sell it. But, you know, it's one of those things. Should should anybody be keeping a wildebeest? Or, you know, he had this refuge wildlife center. I, I don't know how big that was or, you know, his plans for that. So bizarre. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Why is Mayor Justin Bibb looking for ways to pump $5 million into helping people with their rent? Is he dealing with some sort of a crisis, Courtney? Well, what we learned when city council was teeing up this idea for approval, it, it, it got the necessary approvals, it's moving forward, is that basically the pandemic and all the rental aid that came down from D.C. during the pandemic kind of put a spotlight on the fact that Cleveland's probably needed this kind of assistance for a long time. And and the pandemic kind of showed showed Cleveland how to do it. And now they're trying out a new version for the need that's still there post-pandemic. And, and, you know, I think this quote from a CHN staffer really kind of says it, 
this is probably what we always needed in this town and, and never had. So what this what this would do is up to five million dollars would be used to to do what what they're calling rental assistance 2.0. The difference between this and the federal pandemic program is this is more forward facing. The pandemic federal program about $100 million flowed into the area during COVID. This is much smaller in scale. But what that program did was it helped people pay down debts they'd, they'd accrued on their on their monthly rental payments. It was, it was backward-facing. This new city-funded pot of money will be more forward-facing. The goal is to get people into stable housing. So this money would pay for potentially security deposits, the first three months of rent to folks who are maybe at risk of eviction or folks that aren't getting along with their landlord and and know they need to get themselves and their family into a better housing situation. The, the very interesting piece of this is that this program would include housing navigators staffed by the nonprofit CHN Housing Network. And what those housing navigators would do is they'd talk through budgetary concerns with renters. How much can you afford? What should you be looking at so that you don't find yourself in a situation of getting behind on rent six months down the line and then boom, more housing instability. So they'd help folks go over their budgets and they'd also help connect them with, you know, quality landlords and rentals. CHN oversaw that massive federal program over the last three years. And during that, they said they learned a lot. They connected with a bunch of landlords and now they have a much better sense of what's available out there in the community. I've said it before, but but it's really clear. I really like what I'm seeing coming out of City Hall in, in recent months. The second year of this new city council and mayoral administration are doing some very interesting ideas. How how smart is it to get to people ahead of time so that they have sense about what they can afford and what's ahead instead of catching them when the crisis is there and they're about to be on the street? Uh, it'll help people make much better decisions and reduce some of the, the eviction problem we have. Yeah, and, and one of the pieces of this I found really interesting is that a slice of this money could go towards landlord in incentives. So you think about renters who landlords pass over because they have evictions on their on their record. You know, we know that there's issues with evictions and, and that's not a good indicator of, of personal ability to pay necessarily. And and so what some of this money could be used is incentives, basically an extra security deposit given to landlords to say, hey, how's this person? They may have an eviction on their record, but here's a little extra cash to give you security and feel comfortable renting to them. Okay, good stuff. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Lisa, the Cleveland Clinic finally ended a major pandemic policy, one that affects all staff and visitors. Which one? They are lifting the mask mandate. So the Cleveland Clinic say that masks will become optional in most units in their hospital system starting tomorrow. So there are areas, you know, where there are patients who are immunocompromised and other areas where masks will still be required. Some health masks were optional in their system as of March 31st. University Hospitals is reviewing its mask policy currency, but current 
currently, but they're required still for all UH visitors. Metro Health says they're looking to loosen their masking policy, but there's nothing official yet. But infectious disease experts have been calling to end mask mandates. There was a letter signed by many of them to the Annals of Internal Medicine, and they said that the time for universal masking in healthcare has come and gone. The Ohio mask mandate has been lifted since June 2021, and the United States and the World Health Organization are moving to end public health emergencies globally. So uh, it looks like we're saying, or at least putting it in the rearview mirror, we're not saying goodbye to COVID, but we're putting it in the rearview mirror. I don't know. If I were an employee of a hospital, particularly a nurse, I'm not sure I'd want to take off the mask. And we know that there's a lot of stuff that Mm -hmm. comes from hospitals. You got a bunch of sick people together and it'll be interesting to see whether after three years they're so comfortable doing it. We were remembering back to the beginning of the pandemic yesterday when hospitals were actually writing up nurses if they wore a mask because they didn't want them to. <laughs> and it seems unthinkable today that that would be the case. Um, but And I wonder what whether the hospitals will now urge nurses and other healthcare professionals to take the masks off or really leave it up to their options. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how employees, because this covers everybody, visitors, caregivers, and patients, but it'll be interesting because we know that there were a lot of healthcare providers that refused to wear masks despite what the science, you know, and their profession, you know, called for. So it'll be interesting to see, but I still see most healthcare professionals masked. Yeah, and if I were going to a hospital as a visitor, I think I'd probably still wear one. I'm still one of the few people that has not gotten COVID yet and would like to keep it that way. Uh, But I don't, I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how that progresses, but it's a big moment for the Cleveland Clinic, our biggest employer making that call. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Laura, what are the brands thinking and seeking a new logo? They want a new dog. And can someone explain to me why dog is spelled D-A-W-G? I mean, I guess it's dog. Dog. Um, (laughs) I never (laughs) clearly understood that. But fans can not only vote, they can actually submit their idea for a Browns dog, which apparently they've already had a fan vote and they've decided is a Mastiff. So the artist who received the highest number of votes gets placed with three professional artists' designs for the final round of voting that's going to open May 10th. So... To, uh, the voting, the, the I think it opens Thursday for the fan entry into this contest. I wonder if people are going to go on to the illustrating artificial intelligence sites. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's so easy. I mean, they, they really, it's so easy to do it. And I wonder if people just start generating images. In the past, when they said <clears throat> you could put in your own image, you'd have to draw one or paint one or whatever. But now, it, you, it, within 60 seconds, you could have four images based on whatever you ask for. So they could be overrun by possible images. We should play around with it in our newsroom and see if we can get something to vote on. But they're not... Yeah, I bet we have some talented artists. We're not getting rid of Brownie the Elf, though. No, no. Brownie exists separately from the dog, dog pound, uh, I guess, logo. So, and and if you do design this and win, by the way, you get four club seats to a 2023 home game and a prize pack with an autographed jersey. So you're not going to win a million bucks, but you would have the, you know, I'm sure these will be put on shirts. Who knows if it'll show up on the field anywhere. So you get some serious bragging rights. It's interesting. I'll be interested to see how many they get. You're listening to Today in Ohio.
This is technical, but it's a big deal for people with circulation problems. How have researchers at Case Western Reserve University and university hospitals figured out how to get oxygen to tissue that is not getting it during surgery? This is Courtney? so intriguing, this method. So this is a common problem. Patients who have had strokes, sickle cell anemia, emphysema, a whole host of common diseases. There's what one researcher described as a major mystery in medicine. It's basically that there's enough oxygen flowing through these folks' blood, but then it doesn't then get delivered to the tissues that are that, that are in need of oxygen, that have low oxygen levels. And, and so what this very interesting method does is it, it couples nitric oxide with hemoglobin, the, the molecule found in blood that, that carries oxygen within the blood. And, and by doing this, this kind of miracle pairing of these two substances, researchers have found that it is able to deliver and increase oxygen levels in tissues that need it. So basically what it does is hemoglobin, when it gets there, it can sense where the oxygen needs to be, where it needs to go. And, and coupled with this nitric oxide, it can trigger blood vessels to expand, which restores blood flow and oxygen oxygen to those areas that need it. Well, and let's face it, a lot of people who are getting surgery have circulation problems. They're, they're having health issues. This is a critical need. I mean, if you, if you aren't getting oxygen to the tissue, the tissue will die. So as, as complex and arcane as it sounds, it's a big development in the medical field and they're doing it right yeah, here. And what one researcher told us is that other methods that have been used to try and fix this problem, they just increase circulation everywhere. So then that, that zaps blood and oxygen away from the places that need it most. This targeted kind of treatment that addresses the problem right where it's happening seems very promising. The researchers team said they're, they're working to develop drugs that could that could employ this method. And, and they said so far the drugs are, are able to increase tissue oxygenation. Okay. This is fascinating to me because when I worked at the University of Texas Health Science Center in the 90s, we had our, our one Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Farid Murad, and he was kind of the pioneer of using nitrous oxide to uh, expand vessels. So they're taking his research and then coupling it with, you know, this hemoglobin research. It's fascinating to me how this has progressed. Yeah, I know. That's why I put it on here and I sentenced Courtney to figure it out and explain it. <laughs> and she was supposed to talk about it last week, but we didn't get to it. And I felt so bad that she had prepared for it that I saved the question for her return. So well done, Courtney. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We didn't talk about it today. We'll probably get to it in another talk. But I, I think uh, you all saw the news that for people 65 and older and immunocompromised, they can get another booster for COVID. Oh. So um, I actually have an appointment already. I'll be getting mine. Uh, I want to keep my record going as to not having COVID. Um, yeah, it's big news. We're, we're doing a localized story about are they ready for it? How do you do it? Because it's been a long time in coming. That's it for Wednesday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We'll be back Thursday to talk about the news, including Justin Bibb's State of the City speech. 